Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Post 20 Podcast. My name is Evan. I am solo today. You're now listening to episode 91 of the podcast. Uh, it is a Wednesday morning, uh, 8.25, about 12.30 p.m., afternoon, I guess. Um, and I'm recording a solo episode because I will be busy this evening, and I know Matt won't be... Uh, won't be around until later on, and I just can't uh, swing it, and then tomorrow I'm busy as well. We are in that crazy end of the season swing. The restaurant I'm working at is severely understaffed, and my schedule's getting a little bit crazy, doing shit that I don't usually do. Um, Kind of just confused as fuck, trying to help my uncle uh, open up his own business. So I'm spread pretty thin, but I don't want you guys... Um, to go contentless. That's why I am here. I'm going to quickly recap match day two of 38 of the Premier League 2021-22 season and then give you guys my picks for match day three. Uh, a couple more weeks here before we get into the international break, which I am not looking forward to. Um, but that is besides the point. I'm going to go ahead and get in here um, to the first match. And you'll have to excuse me if the pacing of this episode is a little off. Um, it's been some time since I have done a solo episode. Your breathing is just so much different when you're when you're doing it solo and you're trying to make sure that there's no awkward dead space. I can already feel myself getting out of breath, funnily enough. Um, but But we'll get into that first game. Um, let me take a second here to pull up the matches, and uh, we'll get into a recap. Alrighty, first match of the week, Liverpool versus Burnley. It was 2-0 at full time. This game happened at Anfield. Return of the fans at Anfield, absolutely loved, lovely to see. The, um, the atmosphere was fantastic. Great game to watch. Had a really, um, had a really good experience watching it at home as well. So, <clears throat> the story of the game for me was Harvey Elliott, who they slotted into the midfield alongside Henderson and Naby Keita. I thought he looked fantastic. If that's the future of Liverpool, then they certainly have a bright future ahead, uh, which I'm, I'm sure, you know, we all kind of thought anyway, especially, you know, you have guys like Samikas in there who are, who are young and fantastic, just really newly featuring. And then, you know, the, the front three that they have, Salah, Jota and Mane, um, just so so strong. We did see Thiago or Thiago uh, feature in this game back from injury. I'm sure, he'll be injured again uh, in just about two weeks. Always is. And we saw Joe Gomez. Uh, he came back in. He uh, he was subbed in for. I think he was subbed in for um, for Tsimikas towards the end, and he looked good for what for what I saw as well. Jota got himself a goal here in the let me see, 18th. He opened the scoring, and Sadio Mane scored in the 69th. So not just second, and ensure that Liverpool would get all three points in this tie against Burnley. Now, if you guys remember from last season, Burnley did win at Anfield. It was an absolute fucking slaughter fest. It was like a UFC fight. Very physical, um, grindy-ass game. And Liverpool were the ones to come out on top this time, a much more refined effort from Liverpool, who you know are are, are full of their uh, their full talent again. Um, last season there was a point where Liverpool were absolutely throttled by injuries. No Van Dijk, no Gomez. That's a huge thing. 
Um, other news for Liverpool. Andy Robertson has signed an extension until 2026. So they're going to lock down one of the best fullbacks in the league for another five years. That's fantastic business from them. Good move. He's so, so, so good going forward. And he's not as much of a um, defensive rel- liability as you would imagine for a guy that plays so far up the pitch and is up there crossing the ball in. So I think that's great business. This game, um, I don't have a ton to say about. Burnley looked flat. They weren't ever going to beat Liverpool here. Matt and I both had Liverpool in this one, and I don't think either of us would have been surprised. Um, Dwight McNeil, standout for me. Uh, I've talked about this last season, and I'll say it again this season. Dwight McNeil has looked good in both games he's played. He looks really sharp, and I'm wondering if, if he'll be one of those players that gets a move uh, before the end of the transfer transfer period because he's just very very good you know English player um pretty seasoned played in this Burnley team for some time now and he just has he has a lot of of effort he he tries so hard and he's very very good going forward I I just know he's undervalued and I think he'd be a great pickup for a couple of these sides um who are looking to get themselves into maybe one of those Europa League spots I could see Dwight McNeil being very, very good at Villa or a team like that, West Ham maybe. Uh, we'll have to see, but he was a standout on the Burnley side for me. Other than that, I think they were they were pretty much the Burnley of, of yore, you know. Um, nothing, nothing too fancy for them, but a fantastic result for Liverpool. Next one, we have Aston Villa versus Newcastle. Home game for Villa at Villa Park, a 2-0 win. Danny Ings, new boy, scored in the 40, well, he scored in stoppage time. It's the third minute of stoppage for the first half. And then Anwar El Ghazi added a penalty goal in the 62nd minute. This game was a little more defensive, um, less attacking-minded. Both of these teams, you know, they're, they're not they're, they're not the same. Well, I don't think... Villa's the same team as the end of last se- as they were at the end of last season, and I don't think Newcastle are either. Uh, you had Joe Willock, who was firing on all cylinders at the very end of last season. Villa were scoring way, or not Villa, uh, Newcastle were scoring way more goals than they typically did uh, and do, really. And Villa, same way. So with the loss of Grealish and the um, heavy reliance on guys like. Um, on Danny Ings to get all those goals in. Um, they're not going to be scoring just quite as much as they were at the last season. 10 shots for Villa versus Newcastle's 9. Two shots on target for Villa versus Newcastle's 1. And the possession was fairly even. Villa shared 47% of possession with Newcastle's 53% possession. A lot of interceptions in this game. A lot of ricocheting, uh, pinballing in the middle of the park. And... Ultimately, I think just kind of a sloppy game from the Newcastle side. There was 18 fouls. They are a physical side, but um, you just you, you can't be committing 18 fouls with four yellow cards. They gave up that pen, and that really, you know, in the 62nd minute, that's kind of a dagger. You're probably not going to score two, as, as this Newcastle team at least. You're probably not going to score two and get yourself back into this. Um, but a really good result for Villa. Good to see them. Um, getting three points here, and I, I think they deserved it. Uh, all right, what do we have next? Ooh, nil-nil affair at Selhurst Park, home of Crystal Palace. This one, another one where I thought, eh, kind of just a sloppy, um, re- really sloppy game. 
Crystal Palace put out pretty much their full strength, uh, full strength lineup. Um, they had Zahab and Teke and Schlupp up top with MacArthur, Connor Gallagher, new boy Chelsea Loney, and Koyate uh, in the middle of the park. And then, you know, they have a little bit of a new back line, but it was Anderson, Guehi, Mitchell, and uh, and Ward. So I thought Palace looked better than they did the week prior against Chelsea. I think they had a little bit more of a solidified middle of the park sort of play style. However, I have that same worry that I had um last season. And there's just not a ton of spark going forward. There's not a ton of pace in the midfield still. Uh having Kriate in there now is better. Um but ultimately I just don't think it's going to be the difference for them. I don't know what is happening with Vieira. I don't know where his head's at. I don't know if he has, if he's trying to solidify a, a more solid and and um, cohesive game plan. But Palace to me just look a little disjointed still. I don't think that they're there. Um, I did at the beginning of the season think maybe this would be the season where um, something could step up. They could start playing a more dynamic style of football, but they they really haven't um, thus far. But it is early days, so we we can't say too much. Um, about them. On the other hand, I think this is a decent result for Brentford. I think that they have enough quality, and I think Tony is good enough um, that they should have been able to beat Palace here. But you you really can't as a as a a promotion team um, fret with a point, you know, especially this early in the season. Every point counts. We know that. We've seen teams go down by a point, by two points, or by three points, and. Um, it's, it's just very, it's good to see Brentford starting out with a win and a draw. Now, you know, that win did have to come at the expense of my arsenal, but it is what it is. Uh, I think, I think this is a decent result for Brentford. I think that everybody should keep their eyes on them. And I know after this one, people were like, eh, maybe they're not as good as, you know, maybe they're not as good as they played last, uh, last week, but I, I really don't think it means anything. Um, I think you're going to see Tony start to really uh, get fired up here soon. He wins a ton of aerial duels. That's the one thing I think that, that everybody should be cognizant of. And whether that, that shows out on his score sheet or, you know, in, in his goal tally or not, uh, sometimes that doesn't matter. We're going to get into, into some of those space makers, ball winners, talking about Lukaku later on, but... I think I think the fact that he is such a presence on the pitch is going to be a huge factor for Brentford this season. And I'm convinced that that they'll be staying up. I know, like I said, early days, but I think the way that they play and, and the grit that they have, they have a grit that I haven't seen um in a promotion side since since that first year that Sheffield came up and, and they were really, really just Gritty, defensively locked down, very good, parking it back there and playing out from the back well. But um, I think that, that Brentford even have more of an attacking presence than that Sheffield side did, because let's be real, they didn't have much of an attacking presence. So I think that I think that Brentford, uh, bright things are coming, and I'm excited to see what they have in store for us next week. But uh, overall, you know, not an awful result for Brentford. I think Palace should have been looking for more, but Brentford, it's all right. We have another draw up next. Leeds United 2, Everton 2. This game at Allen Road, home for Leeds. 
was a cracker. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a really, really good game. It was kind of wild to see Leeds um, have 70% of the possession. Everton were... I don't, I don't want to say they were flat because I don't think that they were. They were. I think that they played all right. Um, but I think that Leeds, you know, that I think this, this, this loss or this, this draw is better for Everton than it is for Leeds, um, which I know may, may come across strangely. I'm going to try and explain it the best I can here uh, without losing my breath. But... This continues to show me that Leeds defensively have a serious issue. If a team has 30% possession, 30%, and we know Everton can play, play possession ball, right? We know that from, from the past couple seasons, and we know Rafa can do that as a manager. A team like Everton right now, who, are, who have a new manager and are trying out some new players, and Demar Gray, things like that, have 30% possession and are putting two past you that means you're not controlling the ball as well as you think you are having 70% possession. Because in those 30% in that the 30% of the time that Everton have the ball, they're charging forward. They're making serious serious attempts with eight shots on target, right? Versus Leeds is four. You're not being as clinical and effective with your possession as you should be and defensively leads suspect seven goals they've let up seven goals in two games now both sides that they've played against are, are good united's very good everton's all right but defensively they are they are suspect i mean this is this could be a very 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 serious problem you have Stuart dallas and junior furpo playing as wingbacks with cooper and Ailing in the back. And Ailing was good last season, I thought. He was fantastic. Calvin Phillips in the middle of the park. Rafinha, Klitsch, Harrison, and the Bamford up top. Lining up similarly to the way that they did last season. But I don't... I, I think This reminds me of Leeds early last season. Defensively, suspect. Um, you don't really know what you're going to get out of them in terms of goals. They're not scoring as many goals as they were, you know, at the beginning of last season. I know we're two weeks in, but I don't see it. I don't see the attacking, the level of attacking that I saw at the beginning of last season. I think that their counterattack's been figured out. I think that they've been figured out. I think Biel has been figured out, and people know how to lock Bamford down. So I'm worried for Leeds. Um, I think it's a decent result for Everton. And um, Damari Gray looked very, very good. That was kind of an, a signing that, that flew under the radar. And this Everton side, I just think in general, uh, is very strong. Defensively, their center backs are just a little suspect, but Pickford's really good in the Premier League, typically. Um, you have Kane and Mina back there, who I don't think are a fantastic center back pairing, but they are all right. But they're midfield. I mean, Damari Gray, like I said, under the radar signing, has played very well thus far. Um, Allen in the middle of the park, fantastic. One of the best controlling midfielders in really world football, in my opinion. Um, doesn't get nearly as much praise as he should. He got a lot of praise at Napoli, but he should get more here. And then Ducore, who stepped up. I think he's good. He plays with the ball a little bit too much, and he's still a little lanky and long. Um, I think he suffers from some of that Pogba syndrome where he plays with the ball a little too much. Of course, he's not at the level of Pogba, um, as we've seen recently. But still, um, if he can get that sorted, I think that he could be a really, really good uh, midfielder as well. And then Iwobi, he's just all right. Um, that's one of the players I think they could probably improve on. He, you know, Arsenal product. I've, I've had my fair share of time, uh, watching Alex Iwobi, but 
As far as fullbacks go, Seamus Coleman's fantastic, a veteran, and Luca Digne, also fantastic. You know, he's been in the league for a few years now, and he knows what he's doing. He was great for Everton last season. And then Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. Um, Richarlison's great. He's going to net you a ton of goals um, when you need them. I think he's one of those players that you can really count on. He was fantastic in all of his international performances this summer, and he's a very hard worker. He had, a, he had a rough start at Everton, but I think he's really developed into a fantastic player, a mainstay in their side, and I think he works very, very well with Calvert-Lewin, um, who, who I think is fantastic. He's one of the most slept-on strikers in the league, super clinical, especially when he's near the goal. So I think that this was a decent look for Everton. It's okay for them to be just getting, you know, a point here. Leeds, however... I worry that they won't be able to turn it around. I think Rafa has control over this Everton side already, and I am not sure how Bielsa and his boys are going to fare in the next few weeks. Alrighty, moving on, we have Manchester City 5, Norwich City nil. There's not too much to say here. Um, Matt and I both predicted that City would be the team to win against Norwich, and they did. They battered them. Um, we have 16 shots versus Norwich's one, four shots on target versus Norwich's nil, and City controlled the game with 67% possession. Now, here's an interesting stat. Passes, 362 for Norwich, 730 for City. So City doubled the amount of passes that Norwich had. That is the tale of the game. While while their pass accuracy was decent and Norwich were making calculated passes, they just couldn't knock the ball around the city side. There are too many players that are there's too many players of quality that are just gonna be able to hold on the ball, hold on to the ball. And and that was the case here. I mean City just City just dominated. They had the ball more, they saw more opportunities, and they, they converted very, very nicely on those um, opportunities. We saw Gabriel Jesus get a start in this game. And I think that <sighs> I watched the interview with Pep and he loves Jesus. He gives him so much praise, but I want to see more. I want to see him get more of an opportunity at the classic striker role. I don't think Torres should be in the middle there. I think it should be Gabriel Jesus. I think he should be getting the time. We know now that uh, City are not going to be get Harry Kane. Uh, getting him, uh, rather. And I think it's time that Pep needs to realize that Jesus is going to have to be his guy. Um, if you want Ferran Torres, who is a little bit younger than Jesus, to be the backup, or you want to maybe switch him out to the wing, I think that that could be a fantastic move, just for now. Um, Ferran Torres is very young. I think Gabriel Jesus is better right now. I think his ceiling is higher as well. And I know I'm not a professional analyst, but there is a lot in Gabriel Jesus' game effort-wise, work rate-wise, that I think is so, so important. You don't see a player like him come in and hustle as uh, that hard, really, these days. He takes every minute, and it's so important to him. Um, you can tell every minute he's giving you 110%, and it wasn't always like that. But this season and towards the end, um, latter half, mid-half of last season, I just I, I really like Gabriel Jesus. I think he tries very hard, and I think that that's kind of a that's kind of a um a slept on factor these days. So a grinder like Jesus, I think we need to see more out of him. 
he did uh <clears throat> he didn't get himself a goal in this one um but he did he did play really really well and as far as goals go we have a tim cruel own goal in the seventh Grealish got himself on the score sheet for the first time in a powder blue kit amrick laporte in the 64th uh sterling in the 71st and Marez in the 84th so fantastic to see uh kind of the whole gang getting in on the scoring here norwich there's not much you could have done boys uh truly there's just no way that you're going to beat this city team and it's it's unfortunate that that norwich will be starting now um towards that bottom half they are in 20th arsenal team right above them in 19th so not not too much to say good result for city good to see them get back to winning ways after their defeat to tottenham last week and I'm sure they'll be carrying that into their tie versus Arsenal this upcoming week. With all that being said, we'll move on to Brighton-Watford. Brighton 2, Watford nil. Now, this game at Falmer Stadium went to the Seagulls behind a Shane Duffy goal in the 10th and a Neil Mopai goal in the 41st. Brighton were the team to dominate possession, 57 to Watford's 43. And really just another one of those situations where Brighton controlled the ball more. I think Brighton are more impressive on the counter uh, than they are playing possession-based ball, but it worked out for them here. Watford are a team who I thought maybe I would see more dynamic play up top from. After last week's win, I thought that they looked very, very good, but they really just they weren't there this week. Um, they looked flatter. They didn't look as quick. They didn't look as motivated either. And I think that's that's kind of a big thing. And I think they lined up a little differently um, than they had last week. And we didn't see as much from Sar as we had in the week before, which was a huge factor in my opinion. And the more and more I look at this Brighton side, I feel like if they get it together, they could actually be a team... That's towards that bottom mid-half of the table and aren't fighting for relegation. Basuma, I think, is very, very good. Leandro Fassard, I like, and we've seen enough of him, um, you know, in the Euro. He played in the Euro, and I think that, that he's very, very solid. And then Mopai, I mean, is, I have my, my qualms with Mopai. I don't think he's a fantastic player, but if he can get on the score sheet, then I really can't argue with, with the way he, that he plays. And if he can keep himself out of the book and, you know, really just kind of... Just, just scoring goals and doing what he can when he can, then, then I can't, I can't say anything bad about the guy. Um, defensively, I think Brighton looked good. Shane Duffy with, uh, with a goal, center back with a goal. Um, Lewis Dunk looked all right, and then you have Sully March and Webster. Uh, Sully March, I think, is fantastic as well. I think that we need to keep our eye on him this season. I think he's very, very good. And um, defensively, I'm just hoping that Brighton can solidify themselves, continue to solidify themselves. And um, if they can get a couple of results against, you know, top half sides, then Brighton could position themselves in a uh, in a pretty hasty spot this season. But we'll have to see. Watford have to be looking to do better. This was just not a good enough game. I know um, Zisco, their their manager, he's got to be looking for more out of his players here because that just wasn't it. And after a great performance last week, it's really disappointing to see them play the way they did this week. I thought this game would be a little bit closer, but Brighton really, I think, were, were a dominant side, even if the stats don't show that. Next one, we head to the South Coast, where Southampton drew with Manchester United. Now, 
In the 30th minute, Fred scored his own goal. Free ride Fred, as I heard him called this weekend, uh, had a disappointing game, and ultimately um, that, that own goal put, put Manchester United behind. It wasn't until the 55th when baby Mason Greenwood put one past <clears throat> uh, McCarthy and drew United level. Now, I thought that United looked better in the first half than they did in the second. I think the second half was a really, really flat affair for them. And I think that you that, that they really just let Southampton control the tempo. Uh, United just didn't see a ton of the ball in the second half. They did dominate possession with 64%, but I just feel, after watching, I watched every minute of the second half, um, that, that most of that had to come in the first half. You know, I, I saw... I saw some decent plays in the first half from United, but I wasn't overall impressed. I think when you have Bruno Fernandez, Pogba, Greenwood, Martial, um, and then Juan Basaka and Luke Shaw, that you have to be having more of an offensive effect on the Southampton side. But Southampton pressed. They played tight. They were strong. And... I, I can't I can't take anything away from them really. They they played very very well against United here. This game was home um, for Southampton, so it was at St Mary's. And every time United looked to be trying to get back into the game, um, that crowd at St Mary's just they stepped up, and Southampton were were enlivened and, and emboldened by that crowd. And I think that this is a fantastic result for Southampton. Uh, Ralph Hasenhutel, I'd say outmanaged Ole this one. Um, and, and we're going to have to see if, if this... Um, we're getting... The supporters can get behind Southampton, and or behind uh, Ole still. I know I said that last week, but that's what they need. We need to see the supporters get behind him and, and be strong behind him and make sure that he has the support because he's not going to be able to outmanage um, some of these other guys who've been here and have kind of really had to do it on their own um, without those fans. We saw Sancho feature for just a bit. He looked simple um, <laughs> to, to, to really um, put it into perspective. I just think he looked all right, looked flat. Haven't seen anything from Sancho that makes me think he's going to be some sort of fantastic thing for them. And then uh, Lingard. Lingard got some time as well. He just looked okay, too. He needs to go back to West Ham, in my opinion. But a pretty flat game. Um, nothing too fancy. There was a couple calls in this game that would have been fouls last year but aren't fouls this year. I'm kind of glad to see some of that physicality back in the Prem. It's really nice to see. Um, and, you know, this game, while it was kind of just eh, uh, I, that was a big takeaway for me. Bruno got fouled um, pretty early on. I, th I think it was early on, I forget. Um, and there was no call. And he was like, oh, what the fuck? I thought there'd be a call there, but there wasn't. Um, the Premier League's kind of back uh, back to the way it was before VAR, which I like. I think it's always more fun to watch that way. Moving on. Wolves nil, Tottenham one. Harry Kane made an appearance in this game. So I was wrong. Harry Kane is not Galvin Johnson. He's not going to retire. And he's also not going to go to Manchester City this window. Uh, apparently, he is holding out, but um, it's looking like he'll have to stay with Tottenham. He did release a statement this morning. He and his his agent 
um, stating that he'd be staying with Tottenham and playing out the rest of the summer. So, you know, I mean, he's just looking for a move in the fall or in the, in the winter. And I'm sure he'll get it at that point because city's oil money will have regenerated just a touch by then. And, and they'll make that payment. I am sure of it. However, let's talk about this game. Wolves. Um, wow. An offensive barrage from Wolves. 25 shots versus Tottenham's eight. Six shots on target for the Wolverhampton Wanderers. And 58% possession. So, I think Wolves looked very, very good in this game. I thought they looked fantastic. They were strong. They were, they were fast. And they were violent up the wings. Um, they gave Jeffrey Tanganga and, and Reguillon... Quite a run for their money. Those guys had to earn their keep. Um, defensively, Tottenham held strong, though. They were watertight, and that's, that's so important. Um, Adama Traore was really, really good in this game. Like, fucking amazing. A lot of really good runs. Very sharp on the ball. Passed the ball very well and dribbled the ball really well. However, when it comes to finishing, he is criminally bad. I mean criminally awful. He should be in prison for how many fucking times he just soils these offensive opportunities. Wolves have to be kicking themselves losing 1-0 to Tottenham after the amount of opportunities that they had. I just, I think Tottenham got away with this one. You know, it was good to see Nuno get one over his former team after they let him go, after they sacked him. But, man, like, ah. I can't help but feel that 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 um, the Tottenham got away with murder here. You know they really stole this game from Wolves, who I think were were overall just the better the better team in this one. Uh, Deli Alley was the one to score. It was a penalty, but I will say it's very very nice to see Deli Alley back. I think I said that last week too. I will I will say um, Deli Alley has played very determined. He has played very, very determined. You can tell that he's happy to be playing for Nuno, that he's not he's not going to be the punching bag like he was when Mourinho was there. Uh, Mourinho really hated Deli Alley, and uh, after a really fantastic season uh, with under Poch, you know Mourinho came in after Poch left, um, and and just just shit all over Deli Alley, killed his confidence, killed his game, killed him in training. Um, from everything that I've heard, and and Ali was oh, like just about out of the team, but he's come back in under uh, under Nuno, and he's gotten a fresh slate, and he's looked very very good so far. Tottenham have looked very very good so far, so I really like Nuno. Um, so it kind of makes me happy to see him succeeding, but it is painful to see Tottenham uh, with two wins and Arsenal with two losses, but we'll see. Speaking of Arsenal's two losses. Arsenal nil, Chelsea two. This game at the Emirates Stadium was home for Arsenal, but it was not enough to get a result against Chelsea. The Arsenal fans, was nice to see them back. Um, wish I could have been there. Uh, the atmosphere looked absolutely fantastic. Um, but we were without, we were without our main guy again. We didn't have Aubameyang. And uh, this game, no Ben White, because Ben White has fucking COVID now. So everybody has COVID. No Lacazette, no Aubameyang. 
Um, we did line up relatively strong. Ramsdale's not in the net yet, but I would presume that he will be in there soon because Leno's awful. Um, we lined up with Cedric on the right, Rob Holding in uh, the middle alongside Pablo Mari, and then Kieran Turney on the left. Uh, Sambi Lakonga, he got to play. I think Sambi looked all right alongside Xhaka and then Pepe, Smithrow, Saka, and Martinelli um, as the attacking force. I think Pepe and Smithrow looked quite good. Uh, Pepe was pesky against uh, against that Chelsea defense, but man, they were fucking locked down. Uh, there was nothing he could do. And Smithrow is the only one that realizes... Smithrow is the only one that doesn't realize that Arsenal are shit. Um, and he's the only one that seems to be trying his hardest. So we'll see how things pan out um, for Smith Rowe moving forward. But if he carries this work ethic forward, I think he could be a fantastic player for us. Um, and if not for us, perhaps another English team. Uh, Saka just making his way back still. This was his first start, and I think he looked all right. But we'll have to see if he can get himself back into to, to the right mental headspace, especially after all the abuse he and the other two boys um, suffered uh, after the Euro He's getting a free pass for me for uh, for a little bit, but I'm sure he'll be back to his best soon. Chelsea lined up with Big Rom up top, and there's truly not much else I need to say. A relatively simple um, and and similar Chelsea side to we uh, to what we've seen in the past was just the undoing to Arsenal. I mean, Lukaku was unbelievable. I watched every minute of this game. The amount of space that Lukaku makes is unreal. He has developed so much as a striker. It is, it's so fantastic to watch. After his time in Italy, I mean, he came back in this game and he looked from the very minute he stepped on the pitch that he knew exactly what he was doing. He looked like he'd played with these boys for years. He was unbelievable. He made so much space. Reese James and he linked up fantastically. Reese James found himself in so much open space. Mount, Mountain Havertz didn't even have to do anything um, in this game. I mean, Reese James, like, he's easily the man of the match for me. Um, Reese James found himself in space so many times. I just, I, I can't stop saying it. Twice, both of the goals um, were because he was just unmarked. Um, and I don't know if it was because he was slithering away or because we just can't mark him or what, but he was awesome. He was so, so good going against, um, going down that right side against, against Tierney. And it was just, it was unbelievable to me um, how, how well Lukaku and he linked up and how well Lukaku made space all over the pitch. You could tell that the Arsenal defense were worried about marking Lukaku as they should be. Because they couldn't even mark him when they were trying. He scored. Um, he scored that first goal in the 15th minute. The ball that came across the mouth of the goal from Reese James. And then at the very end, um, in that play, not the very end, but it was the 35th. It was the end of the first half. When Reese James found himself in space, that all comes off of Lukaku. Making all that space in the middle of the park, drawing defenders, making sure that there's nobody out on the right. And it was a beautiful finish by Reese James. So... Uh, this this was a great performance by Chelsea. They looked very strong. Marcus Alonso had a fantastic game as well. He's looking very, very good this season. And Chelsea were just all over it. I think that Arsenal played better in the second half when the rain started coming down. I think shit got more slippery, but they weren't able to convert on anything. And that's that's the story of this league, man. You got to be able to convert on your chances. Uh, Mendy looked good in, in net. 
and defensively Chelsea were just all right. You know, they can't they play that three in the back because their two guys on the outside are just blazing forward and they're always back there for help, but the three guys in the center, I think were were very solid. Rudiger, Christensen and Azpilicueta. Um you have pace and and strength with Rudiger, intellect with Christensen. I think he's he's really developed as a player. And then you have experience and uh, and strong mentality for Azpilicueta. There's not much you could ask for in a 3CB pairing like that, or not much more you could ask for, rather. So great result for Chelsea. Poor result for Arsenal. Um, I don't know how Arsenal are going to be feeling uh, against City um, on Saturday, August 28th, but we'll have to discuss that in just a few moments. Next one, West Ham 4, Leicester City 1. A really, really poor result for the Foxes here. West Ham, fantastic game. I was on the Hammers in this one, so it was nice to see them win. We had a goal from Pablo Fornals in the 26th, one from Saeed Benrama in the 56th, a goal back from Yori Tielemans in the 69th, and then two by big man on campus, Mikhail Antonio in the 80th and 84th. Now, it should be noted that there was a red card in this game before the end of the first half, Iose Perez got himself a straight red. Really, really unfortunate. Um, that absolutely fucked Leicester. They were never going to get back into the game um, after that red card. West Ham just took that opportunity to step all over Leicester. And I think Mikel Antonio was unbelievable in this game. He had a lot of opportunities. There was a lot of opportunities for West Ham in general this game. 19 shots, 7 of those on target. Uh, Possession-wise, it was kind of shared. 52 for West Ham and 48 for Leicester. But but West Ham were just such a stronger team. They looked so much better um, going forward. They just looked really, really um, poisonous. And, and I think that, that Leicester looked flat. Old Man Vardy kind of seemed... Eh, he just seemed kind of old in this one. Um, James Madison and Harvey Barnes were all right, but the the story is always for me, Ndidi and, and Yuri Tielemans. You know, Tielemans was the only one to score here. I think he's a great player. I think he's got a really, really bright future out of him. He is relatively young still, only 24 years old. Belgian international, fantastic player. But they they just they couldn't stop. They could not stop West Ham. And when West Ham are firing on all cylinders, uh, Pablo Fornals, I said towards the beginning or the, the middle of last season, I think he's a great player. I think he has a ton of talent and potential. And Rama's great. Declan Rice is really good. He, even he gets forward. And and Jared Bowen played in one of those attacking midfield roles as well. And between those four, you know, between Bowen, Fornals, Ben Rama, and Antonio, there was four goals. So I think that was a really, really great um Great performance for West Ham. I'm sure Moyes would be happy with that one. And after two games, West Ham sit at the very top of the table uh, with six points and a goal differential of five. So, I mean, that's fantastic. Five goal or eight eight goals for. So they scored four goals in both of their games. Cheers, cheers, West Ham. Keep going. Um, alrighty. We are at 40 minutes as of right now. We're going to go ahead and quickly go over my picks for um, match day three of 38. And uh, I'll let you guys know right now. We're going to make sure that we get Matt's out 
on social, so you won't be without Matt's picks. Um, just because we didn't record together, and I don't know if he's gonna put anything up. Maybe he'll put his picks up, upload his picks. Um, but if he doesn't, then we'll just put them up on socials for you guys. First game Saturday, August twenty eighth, seven thirty a.m. Manchester City take on Arsenal. I'm picking Manchester City. There's no way that Arsenal win this game. It's just no fucking way. Um, City have our number. We play poorly against them. Pep and, and Mikel, you know, it's it's they're boys, but it doesn't matter. Um, Pep's gonna beat the shit out of us uh, on the pitch and tactically as well. So I just can't even think about anything else other than a City win. Next one, Newcastle versus Southampton, Saturday, August twenty eighth at ten a.m. I am with mm, I'm with a draw. Actually, I think this is going to be a draw. I think Southampton return to earth after that overperformance against United. And I think that this one ends in a draw. Brighton Everton's the next one. Everton straight up for me. I think they carry some momentum from last week. Good result against Leeds. Um, and I think they beat a Brighton team who so far have overperformed. After that, we have West Ham versus Crystal Palace. I think Vieira's already on his way out. And I think West Ham win that one straight up. After that, we have Norwich City versus Leicester City. I'm taking Leicester straight up here. Norwich have not shown me anything so far. They're in last place, and they look horrendous um, and directionless. So I'm going to take Leicester, who bounced back after a poor result against West Ham. Um, another 10 a.m. game on the 28th, Aston Villa versus Brentford. Now, this one could be a little trickier. I think that... This is going to be a Villa win. I think that the experience for Villa shows here, and I think that they get the edge over Brentford. Uh, we have Liverpool-Chelsea, which is the, probably the game of the week um, on the 28th at 12.30. And for this one, I have no choice but to pick Chelsea because I think Big Rom is going to have an absolute stunner of a game. I can't wait to see the way that Chelsea line up. I would imagine it'll be similar to the way they lined up last Weak against Arsenal, but who knows? Um, they have so much depth on the bench, too. I just think that Chelsea do have more quality uh, than Liverpool. Defensively, Liverpool may be just a touch better, but I don't think it's a diff- I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I just think if if Reese James can get open um, and Lukaku makes all the space that he does, that the wingbacks are going to be the thing that overcome Liverpool, um, jutting in, cutting in, just going crazy. So I'm going to be with uh, a uh, a Chelsea money line. Uh, first game on Sunday is Burnley Leeds. Now this one for me is a Leeds win. Um, they they do have a point now um, from that draw against Everton last week. Burnley still with zero points and a minus three goal differential, which actually is higher than Leeds, believe it or not. Um, Leeds are, are minus four, so it's better than Leeds, rather. Uh, but I think Leeds get back to it. I think they get back to their winning ways from last season, and I think that they do it against Burnley, who they are certainly a better team than. Um, next one, Tottenham versus Watford. Tottenham get three on the bounce for me. I believe that they're going to defeat Watford, who looked really flat last uh, last week. And uh, this is a home game, too. So if Kane's back and featuring, uh, especially starting, they're going to batter Watford, in my opinion. Tottenham money line. And after that, we have Wolves versus Manchester United. So this could be a fantastic game. Or it could be a slaughter. I'm not sure what to expect. 
I don't think that Wolves performed like they did last week. I think they kind of played out of their skin against uh, against Tottenham. And I think that United are a better team than Tottenham. So I'm going to go with United to bounce back after a disappointing draw against Southampton. And I think that they win this game quite handily. I can see being a 3-0 or a 3-1. And with that, I am done. Um, thank you guys for listening. That was 45 minutes of me talking alone. Kind of impressed with myself, to be honest. I don't think it was too bad. Uh, if you guys have any questions, feel free to message or at mention whatever the fuck um, on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, that's where we are located at Post20Pod. And you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So if you're looking for a Premier League pod, you found it. We are your source for Premier League news, results, and analysis. All right. Um, We'll talk to you all soon, and I'll make sure I get those picks out um, from Matt. And until next week, uh, talk to you later. Take care.